Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right. So I'm here with Fred. So correct me if I'm wrong, Fred, but uh, you own uh, Pierce Education Properties. Essentially, what you do is you help facilitate student housing. Is that is that what your company does? Well, we are owners and operators and developers of student housing nationwide. Very nice. Okay. What got you into student housing development? And uh, did you start in that field initially or were you in some type of other uh, field very similar or were you always a developer? So it was when I was in college and I was studying finance and my favorite professor uh, had a, a specialty interest in commercial real estate. And he referred me to a couple of internships, one of which was uh, working for a boutique real estate consulting firm, which meant that our firm did market studies and financial feasibility studies and evaluated development potential of large land holdings, largely for some of the biggest developers in America. And it was at that time, I was 21 years old, that the light went off for me that I had an interest in a career in commercial real estate. And I wanted to someday own my own real estate company. I just didn't know at that stage what kind of company it was going to be, whether it would be in apartments or office buildings or shopping centers or industrial parks or hotels or or who knows what. Uh, And I didn't know whether it would be development or owning commercial properties. But I knew that I, I, I thought real estate was tangible, very tangible. And it looked like those that that succeeded in it uh, made a, a lot of money too. Okay, great. So, you so who did you know that made a lot of money? You said you had a mentor, kind of that that got you into it. But who, who else did you know that was making money in, in real estate? Yeah, well, it was virtually everywhere you looked. So you know, being based here in San Diego, all the big land developers and home builders and commercial developers. My my actual original mentor uh, was my first boss. Uh, and his name was Dr. Errol Cowan, and there's sort of an interesting anecdote there that uh, Errol, when when he was uh, young, uh, he had a, he had a brother, and unfortunately his father passed, and when his father passed, uh, he left an estate, and each brother got ten thousand uh, dollars. Errol's brother took the ten thousand dollars, bought a Harley Davidson, and rode it around the country until the money was gone. Carol, on the other hand, took the $10,000 and invested it into commercial real estate. Then fast nice. forward, you know, fast forward a decade later, uh, and Errol owns several million dollars worth of commercial real estate. His brother still had a Harley. So it was kind of a lesson there. And, and Errol was quite an entrepreneur, and I learned a lot from him in my early days. So, uh, you know, somebody, so if somebody's listening that doesn't have a lot of property, maybe they just have like one primary residence and they don't have a lot of investment properties. Do you recommend them go straight into commercial real estate or do you recommend them to go into like residential or what, 
what uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple roadmaps. The the road I took was not the most typical for sure, um, but a lot of people do start off. You know, a very typical way is you buy your first house or you buy your first condo, and then when you've you know you make more money and you've got an opportunity to to move move to a bigger or a nicer place, and some people keep the original house or keep the original condo, and now they have a rental property, right? They move to another property, right. keep right. their original, and uh, heck, my in-laws are, are like that, um, uh, and, and rest his soul, Carl is no longer with us, but, but Judy is, and, 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 and they've, they've, they've now um, uh, lived a modest life in public service, working for, uh, for a municipality, uh, but at the end of the day, when they retired, I think they have something like seven houses, and so they parlayed investments in houses into rentals to becoming a very prosperous, you know, business enterprise for them. And, and a lot of people do that. And at the right juncture, you know, if you, if you had a couple of them, you could sell them and roll them in and buy a small apartment complex by way of example. Maybe it's a fourplex or a sixplex and all right. of a sudden you're, you're down the road towards commercial real estate, even though it might have started with residential. Are you familiar with Grant Cardone by any chance? I am not. Okay. He, he's very big into the real estate space and he's into multifamily and he, what he recommends, tell me if you, if you agree or, or disagree with this, but what he recommends is it, you might as well go bigger than um, start small because when you, when you go bigger um, you, the, the returns are, 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 uh, are higher and you just have more doors that you can rely on as opposed to just one or two doors. Um, do you feel that's the, the correct assessment? Like a lot of people disagree. Some people agree. Like they, he's like minimum 16 doors uh, that you should buy, you know, with regards to like commercial properties that are you, do you agree with that assessment or do you? Well, I, 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 I'd say that there's a fork in the road, which is, you know, for some people who have the capability to think big, um, most certainly there's economies of scale, right? And if you're too small, then the amount of management effort that's taken is disproportionate to the size of the investment, right? So that right. plays along with the, you know, he wants 16, you know, doors minimum. Um, you know, we have, we have a minimum ourselves, which is, which is 400 beds. So I won't look at a property that's less than 400 beds and I won't buy something that's less than $15 million. And it's been that way since kind of day one that I took the, the company national so I do agree that there is economy of scale and the size. Heck, I could run a $100 million property or a $20 million property. And by and large, the management uh, expertise and the, and the management effort is largely the same. And, and, and therefore, it, it does make more sense to go bigger if, if you got the will. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, so where, where do people even start? I want to talk about like kind of how you, how you built your company as well, but uh, okay. So you started, you know, dipping your toes in the water regarding commercial real estate. And when did you get your first property? And when did you start thinking, Hey, I can form like a, a like a real company out of this. Yeah. So, um, so when in a couple of stages, when I was, when I was in college and an intern at 21 and I decided that was my ambition in life was to own a, commercial real estate company, then the dilemma is, how do I get there, right? How do I make that happen? Well, it happened that I was working for this boutique consulting firm, and I got to work on these enormous, exciting commercial real estate development projects 
all over uh, the state and ultimately all over the world. And, and I chose to continue a career in consulting for you know, about 10 years uh, as I just gained more and more and more experience, right? So, so, but if you can picture my first development deal I did while I was a consultant. So I was 26 years old and I bought my first tract of land, tore down the house that was on it and built nine houses so, and sold them. So it was my first subdivision, did that at 26, 27, and 28 years old. Uh, took a couple of years to, to undertake. So that was my first real toe in the water as what we call a principal, where I was the owner of the development. I wasn't a consultant. And, right. and yeah, and then, you know, what transpired is one of my former consulting projects, I had been hired by my alma mater, San Diego State University, to study the land that was contiguous and abutting the university and give the university advice on whether there was potential to redevelop that land and how it might be redeveloped. And, and I was a project manager for that, would be with that consulting firm back then, and I got assigned that, that project. And, and that was in the late 1980s, call it 1987-ish. Uh, and I, w- I would have been uh, 25 at the time. Uh, and, and now fast forward, they, they followed the recommendations that we made uh, in the late 80s and the early 90s, but ultimately were not able to get the project off the ground. And the two different developers they had selected at two different times, who, who were giant California developers, both told them that they thought the plan was infeasible and whoever their consultant was, was probably not too smart. And they really needed to take the plan, rip it up and, and throw it in the, in the trash can and start over. So what do you think the foundation did? They, they picked up the phone, they called me. And they relayed what had been said about my work efforts and said, what do you have to say for yourself? So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll quit my job and I'll start a company, just make me the developer. And this is a multi-billion dollar development of 131 acres of land surrounding the university. And where did you get the temer- where did you get the temerity to say that <laughs> without without all the experience? Yeah, you know, well, I think I've I think I've always thought big. Although, you know, the, I love consul- it. the consulting projects I worked on were, you know, were enormous. They were large scale golf course communities like La Paloma in Tucson with the Westin La Paloma Resort and Jack Nicholas golf course or Castle Pines in Denver with a Jack Nicholas golf course and a large subdivision around it or Cedar wow. Creek in Kansas City, which was 12,000 acres, uh, ultimately around a man-made lake, uh, a Tom Watson, Jay Morris, Tom Weisskopf golf course, <laughs> thousands, tens of thousands of houses. So I was working on projects of enormous scale as a consultant. And I said, well, if I can do it as a consultant, I certainly could do it as a developer. And the university ultimately hired me. And so uh, it, it was 1995 when that happened. Uh, so 25 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and that first big project was the redevelopment of the land around San Diego State. Wow, I love that. Wow, you you had some balls. Let's just put it that way. Um, well, what I can tell you is at that time, the timing was probably not perfect. You know, I've been I've been uh, eyeballing starting my own company uh, in a, a commercial real estate business as a principal. But when the university approached me, it was 1995. I was in the middle of a divorce with a very young child. Uh, I was paying rent on Countum five different properties. I had a house, wow. had a house in Anaheim Hills, and nobody lived there because we both moved out. 
Uh, I had an apartment in West Los Angeles that I was renting. I had a, a house for my soon-to-be ex who was living in San Diego. I was re- paying rent on that. I was renting a place in San Diego part-time. And you remember that subdivision I built? Uh, there was nine houses. Well, I kept yeah. I kept one of them. And at this window of time, the tenant moved out in the middle of the night, and I had a mortgage payment on that. So I was paying rent or mortgages. Whoa. Okay. Five houses, and I had I, I had to resign my job, which was paying fifteen thousand a month. It was one hundred eighty thousand a year to take a consulting assignment. First happened with the university at five thousand a month. So I took a third of what I was earning while I was paying rent and, and mortgages on five houses. Oh, and by the way, all I had in the bank was $10,000. So that seemed like a perfect time to quit your job on a hope that you'd get you know, the opportunity to become the developer. But that's, that's what happened, that's what I did, and sort of the rest is history. Uh, so you, that was your most challenging time, you would say. Did you have money to eat at that point? Like, were, uh, there, were there times where you were like, well, I don't, you know, maybe I should, did you ever think I should throw in the towel and not continue because it seemed like it was a difficult situation? Well, I, I, that, in that case, I had 90 days. So they, they gave me 90 days to put together the business plan. And if the business plan was adopted, they said they might hire me to implement it. So while the resources did get very thin, uh, I made it through, never wavered, really never thought twice. And 90 days later, they offered me the job to take over as the developer and that's when it happened. Now, there's been other times in my life as I've grown the company nationally that I, I, I had similar experiences and similar challenges, but uh, I've persevered through all of them. Okay. So <clears throat> tell me about how you went from like, okay, you have, were you a one-man shop at that time? Yes. Okay. So you were a one-man shop. Tell me how you went from that to slowly building up to hiring employees and then scaling, which is yeah. what you've done. You've taken it nationally. So how many employees do you have now? Uh, about 450. You have 450 employees. Okay. So let's work, let's work through that. Like, so your first few employees, then to your hundredth employee, then to, to what, where you are now. But yeah. so, so how did you start, you know, bringing people on initially? Yeah, so, so it started that I was a sole proprietor with, with what was then called the Pierce Company, and I was uh, in charge of, I was the master developer for this redevelopment on behalf of the foundation at San Diego State University. And as we looked at taking on multiple phases of that project and acquiring the land because that 131 acres was comprised of more than 100 acres of land, uh, 100 parcels of land, and uh, the university and its foundation only owned, only owned about 10% of those. So we had a massive assemblage that had to happen as well. So what the business plan became was that I made the proposal to the foundation that we needed to increase staffing. And so, and when we did that, because the foundation was a very large entity, $200 million balance sheet, literally thousands of employees with a human resources department, Rather than having those initial employees become employees of my company, they become they became employees of the foundation, and, uh, and and yet they reported to me. So I did their performance evaluation. I hired and fired them, uh, and and the like. So we built up a team, you know, over time, over ten years, that ultimately topped out at about a dozen people, and uh, and so I had over, hired, over ten over ten years. You said over ten years. 
Yes, that's wow. right. Okay. And, you know, and then was where the big juncture came. So at the end of 10 years, uh, so now we're talking the mid-2000s, it became apparent that uh, there was going to be an opportunity to take this platform national. And, and, and previously, my contract with San Diego State required me to personally put 75% of my time into that project, which didn't leave mm. any time to scale something and go national, even though I built a reputation that would enable me to do so. So, uh, so I, I basically had the dilemma. So I parted ways with San Diego State Foundation and launched the platform to go national in 2006. And was that hard to was that hard to leave the the university you was you were working for for so long, and then was that like extremely difficult for you, or was it like no, I have to move on to the next thing? Yeah. The, so what had happened was is that um, we had built up quite a reputation for the redevelopment at San Diego State being being a cutting edge project for a university to sponsor, and and so uh, you know I was featured as the uh, entrepreneurial university at a couple of national conferences where they showcased our project and opportunities started coming my way to be developer of mixed use projects at other universities. So it seemed like the timing was right. I built a track record for 10 years. I built up financial relationships because uh, I had been chairman of the board of a pension fund and was the chair of its real estate investment committee. I had built up relationships in higher education for I'm a former trustee of the California State University system where we have 23 campuses and 500,000 students. And, and I got to know, you know, all presidents and, and built experience on higher education. So with those as the three legs to the stool, I had capital relationships, I had higher ed relationships, and I had a track record in student housing and university real estate. It was really logical. So we did, we took it national. And that's when there were the first employees under my company as opposed to on the foundation's payroll. So there were four of us in 2006. I had a secretary and she was the only one getting paid. Then I hired the foundation's chief financial officer who became my founding chief financial officer and a minority principal in the business. And then I hired the long-term 30 plus year former chief operating officer of the foundation who'd helped guide and build their real estate portfolio from 100,000 feet to over a million feet, he became my first uh, vice president of acquisitions. And it was the four of us in 2006. So, so 2006, if I'm doing my math right, you're like 36, 37, maybe? 30? Uh, yeah, so in, in 2006, I would have, I would have been, uh, say, 34. And, 34. <clears throat> yeah, 34. Okay. And, and, and so when we did that, we had four of us. But because I had to part ways with the foundation at that juncture, we had no income, we had no projects, no development, we didn't own any real estate, but we had a track record and we had a business plan. And within, within 90 days, we got awarded two development projects, one at Michigan State University, one at Arizona State University that represented more than a billion dollars of future development build out. And then within six months, we acquired our first properties. Uh, and it was a portfolio of 3,500 beds of student apartments at Michigan State and Central Michigan University with a $50 million equity investment from Fidelity Investments, a debt from, from GE and KeyBank. And we were, as they say, on the map. We had acquired it for $130 million. Uh, we owned 3,500 wow. beds. We had a billion under development. And we were now clearly on the national map in terms of 
the student housing space and, and university real estate. So this is 34, 35 years old um, that you, you, you've attained this. And really, you, you had your first internal employees probably like around 30, 34, you said, um, 34, a give or take. Was that, what was that transition like in your experience? Like, was that messy? Was it comfortable for you? It you was, know, starting from like, it was uncomfortable? No, no, it was, it was oh. exciting. It was exhilarating, uh, but it was risky. And, you know, similar to the story before when the timing came for me to originally found the company and, and become the developer at San Diego State. Well, in, in this case, um, I had saved up some resources, but as we quickly got into it and I was paying rent and had employees and were incurring pre-development expenses, having to hire architects and planners and engineers on development projects, you know, it, it became apparent that, you know, after I took out a second mortgage on my house, then a third mortgage on my house, then I okay. margined my, my securities portfolio, stocks and bonds, and I borrowed against those. And, and so now we went from 2006 into mid-2007, and it was clear that we would need uh, resources to further grow. Uh, and so it did get a little nerve-wracking as the resources that I personally had were, were running short, uh, but we ultimately uh, merged the company uh, got a $25 million equity investment into the company in late 2007. Uh, and that provided the funding base for us because, as we would find out shortly thereafter, the Great Recession was on the horizon. I don't think anybody <laughs> yeah. really knew it in 07, but it was clearly there by 08. And, uh, but yeah. we had a, a capital partner who was invested with us uh, and enabled our growth. Got it. Okay. So, so walk me through that. So you eventually got, you know, I think this is the mindset of more like one man shows 10 men, you know, when, when people have like 10 employees, they don't want to give up a piece of what they're trying to accomplish. And, uh, is, do you think it's a detrimental thing or do you think it's possible to do what you did without the investment that you, that you received? You know, I think not likely at that juncture that it was going to take, you know, what some people could do in my business is they can arrange project capital. So if you've got a project, you can get investors in that project and you can either, you can either be paid management fees or you can get paid development fees that help pay the rent and pay the employees, you know, as you're working on these projects. But, you know, mine happens to be a very capital intensive industry and many others are, even if you're in, you know, the life sciences and biotech or you're in high tech, you know, it ultimately takes capital to grow. And what you got to realize is if you don't have enough capital, then you'll be your own worst enemy that you won't, you won't be able to accomplish the growth. And, and so to speak to own half of a billion dollar company is a lot better than owning 10% of a $10 million company. So, you know, there is a, there is some reward. That's a trade off. What would you say to, to people that say, well, I don't want investors telling me what to do in my business. Like, what would you say to those, those people? Yeah. Well, say, yeah, you know, you know, it, it's twofold. You know, I do believe that most entrepreneurs uh, have got to the place that they, they got to because they had an idea. Uh, they knew how to make good decisions and, yeah. and it catapulted them to where they were at. Now, the reality is if you need other people's money, if you need other investors to come into your business and if they're putting in 
the supermajority of the money, then, then you're going to lose control and you're going to have joint decision making. So what's really, really important is to not just try to negotiate to get the capital that's the cheapest, to get the best financial deal, but it's, it's more important to find chemistry and to find an investment team who's more than an investor. And when it's time to have to jointly make decisions that they think like you, uh, that your interests are aligned, and that you can both yeah. make the right decisions. Because if the decision alignment is not there, it will never work. That makes sense. Yeah, if they, they, they disagree on a lot of things, then, uh, okay, so when would you got, once you had got that capital, um, you, you were able to develop this um, school property or, you know, is that the right terminology? School property. Well, um, yeah, so, so, so what happened was, is that we got the capital in 07 and then almost immediately thereafter, this great recession hits, right? And then there's right. no, there's no debt financing available. Banks are out of the lending business and real estate. It's becoming sure. more, more troublesome to, to try to uh, put more and more investment dollars into a development project that you're not sure when you can build it, uh, when the economy is going to turn around, when there might be a big equity investor to make that happen. And so, you know, what we did in a short window between 2008 and 2010 was we focused on our, our existing assets. Uh, and in fact, we, we stopped work on the development projects because they didn't make much sense to keep pouring money into development projects in that, that period of time. And ultimately, the, the, the entity who invested with us themselves made a decision that they wanted to part ways from investing in companies and they wanted to move to buying distressed assets. So, mm, so in, in, 2000, in 2010, they gave me an opportunity to buy my company back. So they owned 5% of my company. I bought it back in 2010 uh, and today own you know 100% of the common stock of the company. But as we came out of the Great Recession you know, in, in 2013, all of a sudden investment capital was flowing back into commercial real estate again. And, and since 2013, we've acquired $870 million worth of student apartments and are now ranked as the 14th largest owner of student housing in America. We're at 23 universities in 17 states and, uh, and are, are clearly leading the national landscape. So you, you own the properties, so you're able to take residual income from the properties as well? Yes. Uh, although, to be clear, we own them with large-scale institutional investors. So, sure. you know, very large uh, commingled real estate funds. Uh, we have, we're partners with a very large life insurance company, uh, and sure. we're partners with a very large state pension fund. Uh, is, that a reg, is that a Reg A? Reg, uh, regulation A? Uh, no, none of those are, because those are all... Uh, Got it. Programmatic joint ventures or property-specific joint ventures, and they're and they're not one of the the reg-lettered offerings, which are for high net worth individuals that need to be accredited investors. We we leapfrogged over um, the accredited investor universe, and immediately you might recall that I said our first investment was with Fidelity Investments, and uh, and then subsequently right. life insurance companies and pension funds. And those are simply uh, joint venture partnerships where they allocate part of the capital they have to invest to companies like ours. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> so you had, you went, overcame a lot of challenges. It seems um, you, the, the recession hit. How, how bad did the recession affect you? 
Well, we, at one point we did have to lay off, maybe we laid off about a quarter of our workforce, you know, wow. which, is, which is something you never want to have to do. Um, but we kind of hunkered down after that and weathered the storm. Matter of fact, our, our big portfolio in Michigan, when we bought it, it was distressed. It, it was only occupied in the, in the 70s, a uh, 70% range. Right. And we were able right. to turn it around during the Great Recession to get the whole thing to be 95% plus occupied. So it dropped more ca- cash flow to the bottom line. We were very successful. It built us a track record nationally, which is why we were able to attract capital and continue to make acquisitions, uh, you know, and, and continue to do so to this day. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So you had a lot of challenges during that time. W- what are the challenges you, you face now? What are the most challenging things that you have to overcome consistently in your business now? You have 450 employees, you said. Um, <clears throat> what, what, what are the main things that you have to do? Is it like HR related mainly? I mean, 450 employees, man, I can't imagine what that's like with regards to HR. Um, can, can you talk me through that? Yeah, and, and that's a, a very insightful question and observation of you, of you because I would say that the biggest challenge in our industry and same with our company right now is the recruitment and the retention of the best and brightest employees. That um, uh, it's, it's a constant battle uh, we're a relatively small industry, a niche industry in the commercial real estate sector. It's important that our employees, uh, that at least most of them, have a background uh, in student housing, which is the expertise niche that we're in. And, um, and there's consolidation in the industry, so the big companies like ours are getting bigger, and we need human resources to make that happen. So it's more competitive on the human resource side. And so training programs, both put on by large national industry organizations like uh, the National Apartment Association has uh, good training for operational people uh, that we, we access, uh, and then doing it internally. And internally training is also a, a really important part because we hope to hire from within, uh, and as, as opportunities for promotion come, we hope to hire from people who are already working for us who are deserving of an opportunity to step up. Wow. Okay. So, can you, so, so forgive me for asking, but I like, I like to probe, you know, guests sometimes, but what, what is the most challenging thing you've had to deal with regarding HR with, you know, you can talk about whatever you're comfortable with, but like the most challenging thing you ha- you've had with employees with just making sure the culture is correct. You know, it, it seems like once you get into that, like 450 range, you're more corporate as, as opposed to startup. Do you act more like a startup or do you act more corporate? Like what, what are your, what, what are the most challenging things that you're, you're overcoming? Yeah. So, so there's a little bit of both in us that on the one hand, it really does feel and act like a small family company. I mean, you know, I've, you know, I, I've met, um, you know, most of our employees, there are a few out on properties all over the country who are student workers that, you know, only work for, you know, one year, you know, while they're in, in school. And I may not have met all those, but I've, I've met pretty much most all of the other ones. Certainly our senior management team uh, who come together for a company summit every year where over a hundred of our leadership team comes and, and, and I'm at the event with them, uh, enjoying the event with them. So, so we are a, a family operation on the one hand. Uh, on the other side, because we have large institutional investors, we certainly need to be institutional, which is another word for maybe looking a little more corporate. 
but we, we have to be institutional. We have reporting obligations to our you know, joint right. venture partners. So we obviously do that. So we're kind of a hybrid of both, a very professional, very institutional company on the one hand, and yet a real family environment uh, where our employees really enjoy what they do. Uh, and, and you had mentioned something else, corporate culture, which is, which is really important and, and oftentimes difficult to maintain you know, when you, uh, when you grow a company. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and I think we've done a good job of that. Yeah, I feel uh, what I've heard a lot is I'm, I feel like I'm still in the startup stage, a uh, little bit more than a like more than a seed, but not not necessarily where we can scale yet. And uh, I, I've what I've heard for most people is when you start g- becoming more corporate, a lot of your startup people will want will not want to work in that environment. Is have you has that been true in, in your company? You know, I, I'd say generally speaking, not really. So we've had tre- really? okay. tremendous stability in our senior management. As a matter of fact, it, it pretty much in the, you know, we, we went national in 06. So what are we into our 14th year national? And we basically at the senior most level, um, those positions have only turned over once. I mean, literally uh, that turnover, uh, the CFOs turned over, uh, the, the chief investment officers that have head of acquisitions, the head of asset management, and the head of marketing have all turned over, uh, all of them once, one of them twice. So it's been tremendous stability. Uh, our current team has largely been together the last seven years, I believe, and are, are ready for our next growth stage. As, as uh, uh, at this stage, are, have you found that this, your business now is more fun or less fun than when you first started? I'd say it's, it's every bit as fun as when we uh, just started. And, 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 in, and in fact, you know, some of the growth and the stability that comes with a broader and more diverse source of revenues and income is, uh, you know, a little less stressful than when it was smaller. And, and for many years, I ran the company, the operating company, at a cash flow deficit. And I did it because the only way we could do what we were expected to do manage the assets that we had, continue to pursue acquisitions. I needed a senior management team that candidly at that stage, I couldn't afford. And so I was digging deep. We were, uh, we were losing money every year as, a, as an operating company. We may have made it back in appreciation of our real estate assets, but um, you know, as you can appreciate, uh, those weren't highly liquid. <laughs> you know, th- those were throwing off some cash, but most of the value was tied up in the value of the properties that you don't monetize until you sell the properties. So mm. I made a big investment in human resources. And uh, so it was a little riskier back then uh, than turning the operating profit that we do today. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So, and, and where do you find, where, where, where would you want to take your company at this stage? Where, like, where, where do you see the, where do you see your company going to in the future, you know, regarding growth? Yeah, so, so if you can use some metrics on this today, as I've mentioned, we have 16,000 beds and net assets under management of amazing. $900 million and, and 450 employees, uh, 23 universities, 17 states. We expect wow. the industry to continue to consolidate, and we expect tremendous growth uh, in, the, in the coming years. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're uh, getting ready to close an equity financing commitment of, of some $300 million. It will be able to leverage 65% uh, 
which would finance our next 900 million in acquisitions. So, you know, probably over the next three to four years, we'll double in size. And, and then beyond that, wow. there's what, what do you think contributes to your, your, uh, mindset on growth. Like it seems like what I, here's what I I'm noticing about you and what I've noticed about all the, the, the champions, like, so Kobe Bryant just died recently. Right. And what I notice is that they're always looking for more. It's they're never too satisfied. They're never, they never rest on their laurels. Would you characterize yourself as, as that type of person? Like you'll never rest on your laurels. You feel like you're always going to continue like upping the ante with regards to what you're trying to accomplish. Well, certainly I think that there's so many opportunities in America to grow and to succeed that uh, it's almost as if there's an insatiable opportunity to do so. So right now I can't imagine or fathom retirement. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't imagine uh, just Either. staying static or the status, the status quo. It, yeah, it's just boring. It's just boring, right? Like it's just not fun. Well, there is a lot like, of excitement. There's a lot of excitement in growth, and growth pre- presents opportunities yeah. for all. Yeah. What What I mean is like sta- be, being stagnant, being like, oh, I can rest on my laurels. I can, I can, I can relax now. I've worked hard enough. It's like, would you say, would you, would you say that you enjoy the process more so than anything else? As a, you know, you you enjoy the process more than the wins. You know, I, I enjoy having my own company. Uh, I, I enjoy being able to direct its growth. I, I enjoy being a mentor to, you know, many of the employees at our company and showing them the route of, of success and, and, and career uh, ascension. Uh, I, I, I really like all of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy the, the public um, and publicity that, being a leader in the industry, you know, has enabled uh, at an industry level. You know, I, I like, I like all of it. It's just coming to work is fun. So, so let's say I'm a, so there's different le- levels of, of mentorship that you provide. So you have your senior leadership, right? You have, do you mentor people on the senior level or do you mentor people on like just interns? Like who, who do you, what's your, where's your focus go regarding mentorship? You know, so it, it, it really goes very broadly. So, uh, and in the corporate office, you know, it's everything from, we have interns, we've had a lot of them. Uh, we've got some now. Uh, some have directly reported to me, some report to others, but get a chance to interface with me and the senior management team to the senior management team, you know, who uh, I, you know, I've been in this business for a long time. Uh, I continuously learn from them and, and I know they continuously learn from me. Uh, and I think they see unique approaches uh, to, to the challenges and opportunities that are presented that can even take people who've got 20 and 30 years of experience and feel like they're learning something new every day. And, and then finally, it, it finally, it's really important for, um, for me to have a connection, especially with our managers around the country. That was the 100 people that I talked about. And we've got regional management teams We've got on-property teams. Those include a local executive director who some might think of as the on-site property manager. It's the director of leasing and marketing. It's the resident services manager. It's even our maintenance supervisors. You know, they all play an important role. And so when, when we come together, uh, I, I try to share the culture with them. We have a combination of a good time uh, and a learning experience so that they take away from our 
our summits, you know, both memories, relationships, and knowledge. Um, I'm almost always host them, even if it's over a hundred of them at my house for a dinner or a pool party, you know, so uh, it could be more personal. And I think that's, uh, that's part of my, my, my style and, and what I like to be part of the company. You're right now you're in the people business. You're not in the construction business. You're in the people business really. Well, we we are. And if you think about, we've got 16,000 residents and they're our customers. Uh, yeah, that's true. Student yeah. residents, but they're customers, and so and our our property teams need to understand that they're just not residents; they are customers, uh, and we need to pay attention to their needs. And so, you know, picture a maintenance supervisor. Well, oftentimes that's the the opportunity for a negative interaction, right? Maybe something broke down in their unit and needs to be fixed. Well, it's really important that that maintenance personnel, when they come in to fix it, they do it with a smile. They do it as quick as they can. Yeah. They let the uh, the resident know that we're here to assist them. And that's a really important interface. And if that's not a positive interface, uh, if we're not all pe- people people, uh, then it probably won't bode well. Thank goodness we are. So you said you're in San Diego, right? So you're a California employer. So, I mean, we know that a lot of us know the challenges in business regarding, you know, California and uh, employment as an employer. Um, so, okay. So I, I just, I want to, I want to go, I want to veer away from what I was just thinking about and I want to go into, so I didn't never got to finish my thought on uh, mentorship. So I, you'll, you'll be able to tell sometimes I change my, the direction of my thoughts, uh, which is kind of annoying to some people, but it's okay. Um, so, mentorship what what are you at at the senior level what how are you mentoring people at the senior level and how are you mentoring people that want to take their company to the next level or that take their career to the next level how are you you know educating them and and getting them becoming better yeah so so it's twofold i mean you know so at the company level you know it's something that happens every day and, and we have a complete open door policy so literally Anybody from our receptionists to the lowest level intern to middle management to our executive and senior management team, my door's open and, and they often walk by it <laughs> and they're welcome to come in and they, they do come in. And so, you know, having an open door policy, I think, is, is helpful uh, in, in being a mentor at a company. Uh, we also try to um, also try to create a corporate culture where there's in our case, we value education and we value community service. And, and so I have taken a big part of my adult life and dedicated a significant amount of time as a volunteer, uh, as a board member uh, on a variety of charitable organizations and higher educational institutions. And, 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 and we make sure that that's, that's known at our company and that it's encouraged for our other employees to seek out organizations that they find worthy and, and to take some of their finite time and make sure they, they donate it. And, and likewise, when I'm in those organizations, I also feel like I'm mentoring other uh, board volunteers, other employer employees at those charitable organizations or educational you know, organizations. And you know, my involvement in those tends to be fairly public. Um, you know, where I've ascended to become the, the president or the chair of most of those organizations where I've volunteered. And, and there's gotten some, some publicity nice. to that. 
And I think that publicity is good in sending a message that, you know, to be a successful CEO and a successful business person and a successful contributor to your community, you need to be a contributor to your community. You need to take Absolutely. And, and, and volunteer that time. And I think, I think that in, in a highest level is mentoring as well. Okay. Okay. So last question. So what do you think contributes to your success? Do you think it's something that something you were born with, or is this something that, you know, you, you were very intentional about how you were planning to grow? Um, entrepreneurship is not, not for everyone, right? It's, it's not, I mean, a lot of people don't enjoy entrepreneurship like you or I <laughs> enjoy it. Um, but like, what do you attribute your success to? Yeah. So, so, so we, and by the way, you are right. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody because many wouldn't be able to sleep at night with the responsibility to know they're, they're feeding 450 families, uh, and if they don't succeed, then the ripple effect of that's going to impact a lot of people, right? So, Absolutely. So, so when I when I look at it, I, I think it's a, you know, it's a combination of of ambition, uh, and, and I could tell you it's interesting that you know, growing up as a child, you know, we're always trying to impress our parents, right? And, and I was no different than anybody else, uh, but my my dad was kind of a, a tough cookie. You know, it was not easy to earn his praise. So what I kept doing is I kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing to see how much more successful I had to be, whether it was in sports or whether it was in school or, or any other endeavor that I pursued. What could I do to, to, to get my dad to finally, you know, maybe someday acknowledge that what I was doing was good and, and that I could be that he could be proud of me. And, you know, I could tell you today that he tells me, um, you know, very often how proud he is. But for a lot of years, I didn't get m- much positive reinforcement and it motivated me. So, so I had motivation uh, and, and ambition. <laughs> Disconnected there for a second. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm trying to get back. Let me just do this. Uh, okay, back. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so yeah, you, you – oh. Where you left off was, go ahead, go ahead where, you, where you left off. Yeah, so, so, so one of the elements I think that's contributed to, to my success has been that I've got ambition that, that may have been built into me, um, you know, through my interaction with my, my father, you know, which I said was always positive, but didn't early on involve a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of attaboys, right? So I, I was seeking you know, to, to get some recognition from my dad. And that, that motivated me. It pushed me to, to achieve, you know, greater things. You know, I also think, that, I also do think that if I say so myself, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pretty smart guy. You know, I was a, I graduated college with honors and, you know, so I think nice. my, my intellect, you know, has, has certainly contributed to my success. And, and then I would sure. say, I would say vision and, you know, not everybody has a big vision. But, you know, I had mentioned that I had a vision to own my own real estate company when I was 21 years old. And I can tell you that, that my fraternity brothers from San Diego State tell me to this day that, this, that they knew this is where I was going to be, you know, owning a real estate company back when I was in college. And you know, not a lot of people, you know, figure out a roadmap of what they want to do professionally in their life and then follow a plan and, you know, make that happen. So I, so I think the fact that I had, that I had a vision – uh, and, and then finally, I think that, that communication skills uh, have, um, have played an important role. Too often today, and I worry about 
you know, our high school kids and, and, and college students today so immersed in social media and technology that they're losing the good old fashioned gift of gab and, you know, and, and of social interaction with other human beings. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the future, but, you know, I think my commitment to my interest in, I'm a former Toastmaster, uh, you know, communications, both written and oral have been certainly been an asset to, uh, to what I've been able to accomplish. <clears throat> Awesome. Awesome. Hey, well, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, <clears throat> you know, uh, Fred, I'm not sure if this is, uh, this might be frustrating. I'm not sure if, if the interview cut out, it might take a little bit of a little while for me to get the interview, but we, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing we might have to, we might have to schedule another, uh, interview. I'm so sorry if this cut off. Um, but it, there's a chance it might, it may have come. <laughs> it's may, it may be coming in like the next five to 10 minutes. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry about that. Okay. Um, but uh, I'd love to schedule. That was a great interview. I'd love to schedule another one. If this doesn't come through, I think it will. But just in case, I just want to make sure. But okay. it, how, do, how do people get a hold of you if, if they want to get a hold of you? Sure. So there's, there's three, three things I can say. Our website is, and it's a long one, it's www.pierceeducation.com properties.com or the phone number in our corporate office is area code 619-297-0400 and if they want more information they can also google me uh, and I'll pop right up on the on the first page Uh, but there's a lot of information on our website including a contact us page so those are the awesome awesome cool 